God, really, are you sure? Because it doesn't seem timely for the time of year that we're in. You know, um, preaching has rhythms and, you know, you come in January and you hear all about fresh starts and, and you know, momentum and all that kind of thing. And then in February, you hear about vision. Uh, well, today, I'm not talking about either of those things. And um, kind of, it seems a bit premature at the start of a new decade, at the start of a new year, when we're all still feeling um, amped up and ready to go. But I'm preaching on this because we will strike it. It's part of life, a theology for suffering. And I'm all for positive statements. I am, I am by nature uh, not very positive. Um, I actually, uh, I grew up in a, not my household, but the church I grew up in, the town I grew up in, um, was very negative, very quick to point out people's flaws and, and very quick to judge. Uh, fortunately, I married someone who was committed to being positive and so he, Darren, changed the atmosphere of our whole household and set the culture of our church as well, which is a massive blessing for me personally. And I'm all for the positive statement, but I am actually also all for reality. And to acknowledge reality is okay so that we can name it and we can actually deal with it. I feel like sometimes as Christians we can just confess positivity and we should without addressing the reality and going, well, okay, how do I actually feel about this? And it's important to acknowledge our feelings so that we can choose how to respond to them. So this morning, um, a theology of suffering. I kind of identified four uh, areas of suffering that I think that we all go through at some stage. And the first three are ageless and stageless. And, uh, and the fourth one is probably a bit unique to our Western middle-class world. But the first one is heartbreak. Heartbreak, that's a, a, a level of suffering that brings suffering, heartbreak does. And uh, just by way of example, maybe, you know, maybe you've had heartbreak, maybe you identify well with this one, but Jesus had heartbreak. Jesus felt heartbreak. He actually, in the garden, it says that he kind of, he, he was there and he'd, he'd taken, that he'd had his meal with his disciples and he'd gone into the garden and he took three of his best mates and, and this I don't know why, but this kind of connects with me, this story, every time. I, I, I feel it on the inside. I think um, one of my high values is loyalty and, uh, and, and, and friendship and things like that. And uh, so I really connect to this. Jesus, uh, not that I've always been the best friend, but Jesus takes his three best mates and says, I'm about to go through something incredibly difficult and I need you to pray. I need you to be with me on this. I need your covering in this. I need you to have my back. And, uh, and so they go into the garden and Jesus goes a little way further, says, can you stay here and pray? He goes face down on the ground before God and says, God, if you can take this cup from me, please do so. But not what I will, what you will. And he goes back to the disciples and they're all asleep on the ground. And I kind of feel the heartbreak of that. Like, oh, oh guys, I'm, I'm about to do something unbelievable and and you've fallen asleep. Now, they had just had Passover, which involves four cups of wine. I don't know, it was, you know, cause and effect, but maybe he should have, no, um, he's Jesus, he can do whatever he likes. But he, he went and, um, and, and he looked at them, he woke them up, he roused them and said, please, no, I need you to pray. I don't think you get it, I need you to pray. And he goes again, face down on the ground, prays before his father comes back and they're asleep again. This time, he doesn't even bother to wake them up, he just sees them. And, and, and I feel this kind of heartbreak from Jesus as he goes, just him and the father, and goes and lies face down again and gets up face resolute, uh, ready for what awaits him. Heartbreak, heartbreak. There's a, um, a book of the Bible in the poetry section called Job and uh, he, this whole book is dedicated to suffering. 
And he experiences heartbreak on a level that we have never experienced. And I love that the Bible has this book in it. It's like a book that bears witness to our suffering and says, God's kind of going, I care about you so much that I will dedicate a book of my canon of the Bible to suffering so that you know that it's okay to suffer. And so, but for Job, uh, the story goes that he's there and, and a servant runs in, and I'll probably get the order of this mixed up, but that's okay. The uh, servant runs in and says, Job, Job, the Sabaeans have attacked and they've taken, they've taken all your oxen, they've taken them all and the donkeys and, and they killed all the servants. I'm the only one to survive. And Job's like, oh my goodness, that's terrible. But barely has time to process that information before the second servant runs in and says, Job, Job, a lightning storm just hit and all your sheep were just killed by lightning and, and all the servants as well. I was the only one that survived and Job's still reeling and then the third servant runs in and says, the Chaldeans have attacked. They've taken all your camels and they've killed all your servants except for me. I'm the only one. And, and if you're Job, you're kind of like, oh my, what else can go wrong? And then the fourth servant comes in and says, Job, your, your oldest son was just hosting a party and all the younger children, um, your younger children were at their house and, and a tornado hit and the roof fell in and everyone died, including the servants, and I'm the only one who survived. What kind of level of heartbreak must he have been going through? And so then that is definitely a cause of suffering. Another one is exhaustion. And at the start of a new year, maybe you're not feeling exhausted at all, but I'll check back in with you in about what, March? <laughs> Hopefully November. And, uh, and maybe you will feel exhausted. There's kind of, there's emotional exhaustion and there's physical exhaustion. Again, Jesus got to that point of complete exhaustion in the garden when he, um, Elric, is it okay if I, you just do the slides? Um, thank you so much. Um, exhaustion. He, he goes down and, and, um, and the Bible says that he suffers from a condition called hematidrosis where he sweats drops of blood. The capillaries between his sweat glands and his... Um, veins actually rupture and the blood flows into his sweat glands and pours out and and wikipedia the source of all knowledge says that that actually that's a condition that comes after intense emotional stress or intense physical stress well we know for jesus he hasn't actually hit his physical um points yet where he gets whipped and beaten and scourged and everything else so he his emotional pressure is so intense at this point that he is sweating drops of blood exhausted and then we know that of course he becomes physically exhausted after the whipping the beating the mocking the scourging the spinning everything that he endured that so exhausted he couldn't even carry his own cross up a hill and Simon had to be conscripted to carry it for him exhausted also Elijah in the Old Testament he was a prophet who had this miraculous manifestation of God, this incredible high on a mountaintop where, where God just showed himself and, and Elijah just gets in and, like, it's pretty... Sorry if you not, don't like blood. But he gets in and he, like, kills and slaughters all the prophets of Baal and it's like, yes! And, um, and then he runs because he hears that he's now under attack and he, under a broom tree, is exhausted. Exhausted. Maybe, maybe you find yourself there already at the start of this new decade. And all he needs is a good sleep and a good feed and he's able to travel 40 days and get to the mountain to encounter God again. Uh, exhaustion. Uh, another source of suffering is loneliness. Loneliness, I don't know if you've ever felt lonely, but man, it's suffering. It, it just, it goes beyond kind of those physical outside things into something that's in the pit of your stomach. You might have people around you all the time. You might belong to a great church family like this. You might be in a school full of people, but yet you feel this intense loneliness on the inside. 
Again, we know that Jesus suffered loneliness in the garden, as we just talked about. But the most intense loneliness that he ever felt was when he was on the cross for you and I. And he yelled out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, God, why have you forsaken me? You see, Jesus had already experienced much rejection through the whole of his ministry, but, but it wasn't until he got to the cross where he was completely and utterly left alone. He always had his father before that. Loneliness. You know, Paul writes in uh, 1 Timothy, or maybe 2 Timothy, he says, you know how everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me? <laughs> like, have you ever had a continent desert you? <laughs> just like, I feel deserted. Oh, um, okay, I might just go look at Paul's life and see what desertion really looks like. And, you know, Paul then is able to name the people uh, who stuck with him. But he's like, there's a litany of people who have left me. And so he's lonely. So heartbreak, exhaustion, loneliness, ageless and stageless, enabled to be felt in any, no matter who you are. But this last one, it is like this dissatisfaction, a dissatisfaction, a, a, a doldrums, like feeling like you're not moving, like you're not going anywhere, kind of this deep desire for more. I just, I just need to push through. Or, oh, I know there's something more, but I don't feel it right now. And maybe you've even hit this stage in your Christian life where you're like, I, I love God. I, I feel saved. I've decided to follow Jesus. So yes, I'm rescued. Yes, I'm part of the family of God. But surely there's more. There's got to be something more. And, uh, and, and I think that this is very much unique to us. Because when you're a Christian in the Bible, uh, you're not knowing if you're living or dying the next day. You're not knowing if you're getting rounded up by the authorities and thrown into the lions for sport. You don't know if you are going to be persecuted and cut off from society completely and forced to wander. They didn't have a chance to feel this dissatisfaction. I feel like there's more to the Christian life than what I'm experiencing. No, no. Am I going to survive tomorrow was more their question. And so it is unique to us. But, but people who do feel this kind of feeling are the rich people. That's us. We're the rich people. I don't know about you, but at home I've got this house, um, like a spare house, just a spare house. And so I, I, I park my car in it. Um, and sometimes I can't fit my car in it because there's just so much stuff in there. You might call it a garage, but many people across the world would call that a house, a spare house that we've got on the side of ours. So in Ecclesiastes, Solomon, um, it's purported to be the author, he's this rich, incredibly uh, wealthy guy who has so much and he gets to the stage where he's like, it's, this is all meaningless. There's got to be more than this. There has to be more. This can't satisfy what's going on on the inside of me. And yet I feel like we have that same feeling as well. And many people across the world would call that not suffering. They'd call that a rich person's uh, disease. Um, but we would call it suffering. And, and if we are real, if we're not just going to be into positive confessions and, oh, there's people worse off than me, it, it is a feeling of suffering. It is like I feel unsatisfied. I feel dissatisfied. So... Let's jump in. I'm going to pray and we'll jump into Romans chapter 8. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would quicken your word to us. Lord, what seems like perhaps a negative topic, I pray that you'll bring freedom 
and anointing, Lord, and, uh, and joy and peace to this topic in our lives. So, Lord, no matter what comes at us this year or no matter what we're already facing or this decade, Lord God, Lord, I pray that we would be equipped with your word in order to face it. And, Lord, you are not interested in our comfort. You're interested in our character. So I pray that you would build us today for the future in Jesus' name. Amen. I mean, Romans chapter 8, verse 18, it says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The glory that will be revealed in us, not to us, not for us, but in us. The sufferings that we encounter are designed to bring out glory in us. I don't know about you, that's a fantastic concept to me, that God would desire to bring glory up out of us. He doesn't want us just to endure, just to get through it. He wants to bring glory in us. Verse 19, it says, The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. That's a big kind of sentence, a big passage, essentially saying that the creation was as perfect as we were at the start. Um, And God said, I'm I'm giving you freedom to reign over all the earth, to humanity. He said, I want you to subdue it. It's, It's up to you. You can have rulership and ownership over the earth. But as humanity fell and sinned, then creation was plunged into decay as well. It felt the ramifications of our choices back then and still does, as we know, unless you don't think it does, and then that's fine and we don't need to talk about climate change. Okay, moving on. Um... But regardless, regardless, we can see that, that surely this is not meant to be the perfect weather system that God had. We've just endured, our, you know, our region has just endured this crazy drought and, uh, and, and city people might fly over and go, oh, wow, look at it, it's all green. But we know the ramifications of that are going to go on for years to come. You guys just had flooding, I think, did you hear? Like we can see that our world is broken and that, that actually, surely there was a better system that God had set up. Our creation has been plunged into decay. But this says that the creation waits for the, in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. So suffering creates a glory in us and creation is looking on bearing witness to this bigger story that's going on. It's not just what's being revealed in us, it's also about what's going on around us. Let's go to verse 22. It says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. We feel that, we see that, we see our broken land. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You know, sometimes the sentence structures of the Bible, they're not things that we're familiar with. So let me just kind of paraphrase that for you. It says that creation's groaning, uh, but also we're groaning. And it says that we're waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons. Well, we're already sons and daughters of the living God once we put our faith in Jesus Christ. But there's also a redemption of our bodies that needs to occur. Can anyone else say amen to the fact that their body is decaying? Uh, Amen. Um, My young friend here, what's your name, mate? Sorry? 
Riley. Riley, I applaud your boldness and your um, just, you know, leadership in coming out the front. Just, you know, that's awesome. I wish you hadn't gotten down on the floor and I wish I didn't feel the need to follow. You know, that it's said that, you know, when you hit 60 plus that if you get down on the floor to tie your shoelaces you just look around to see whatever else needs to be done while you're down there so that before you get up I say I'm a high achiever early achiever and I'm already there and uh, I turned to Riley at one point and went Riley do we ever get up when do we get up and fortunately the band complied and we were able to get up so our, our, our bodies are wasting away right we feel that and maybe you know my husband's um, mum died of cancer very quickly and uh and the one thing that will still get my husband emotional is the thought of his mum running down the streets of heaven like a little girl again and just in the presence of God because our bodies are waiting for redemption. We get a new body. We, we, the groaning that we experience, the creaking, anyone else got a few creaks? The creaking we experience is witness to the fact that there's a hope that we have of glory. So, the, so creation's groaning, we're groaning. Verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. This is why I love being a Pentecostal. This is why I love the fact that we believe that the prayer language of heaven is available to every believer upon baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're not filled, if you're not, sorry, you're filled with the Spirit if you follow Jesus, but if you're not baptised in the Holy Spirit today, I encourage you, speak to Pastor Renee, speak to me after the service. We would love to pray with you and tell you more about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You see, so many times I'm, I'm praying and I don't know what to pray for. So I just begin to speak in my prayer language that God has given me. And, uh, and you'll, it's amazing the things that just come to my mind that I wasn't thinking of praying for and then I'll pray in the understanding as well. Well, the Spirit himself is interceding on our behalf all the time with groans that we can't even express. So we've got this backup. We've got creation bearing witness, waiting to see the glory that will be revealed in us. We've got ourselves and our bodies saying, yes, a new body is coming. And we've got the Holy Spirit interceding and groaning on our behalf. I think I've got a slide about the groan there, this groan, the witness of the groan, this communal groan, the creation, the spirit, our bodies and the acronym. It, there's a greater story in the groan. It's revealing an objective that is to give us an assurance that we are not alone. We are not alone in the midst of our suffering. Creation is bearing witness. Our bodies are bearing witness. The Spirit is bearing witness to say you're not alone in the midst of this. There's a bigger picture. There's a bigger story. It's not just about you and your circumstance right now. There's something bigger going on. And you might say, well, that's good to know, Bron. Okay, I feel a little bit better. Okay, I'm not alone. Like, I kind of knew that. I, I maybe, maybe didn't really give much thought to creation leaning in, but, but I knew the rest of it. So, but, but how does that help me in my time of weakness, in my time of suffering? Let's go on to verse 28, Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So which things? All things. How many things? Everything, all things, all things that you're going through, all things that you've been through, every decision you've made, good, bad, indifferent, God is able to work through for the good of 
you. You might say, well, really? Is it really for me? I, I can see that at work in other people's lives, but is that really for me? Well, if you love him, yes. And it says, called according to his purpose. That is you if you've decided to follow him because he has called you. We'll read it now in verse 29. It says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. Now, that's a big passage right there because this is something that Christians get in fisticuffs over and, and, and tear each other apart on the internet over, which is not a good thing either way. Uh, it's by our love for each other that we get known, not by our opposition to each other's doctrinal positions. But it says here that, that God foreknew. So, so I just, I'll just give you my take on that, all right? Because I'm not declaring that I have all truth and, and, and let's have a discussion about it. Not me personally because I go home today, but, but let's, like, you know, let's continue the conversation. Rod will have it with you. And, um, and it says here, so I'm just taking it from what I read, the book of Romans in its fullness and then Ephesians, passages in Ephesians, and then how I read Genesis and then and putting it in that context, okay, that God knew who would choose him and so he chose them. That's, you might think, oh, that seems like a bit of wordplay. I, I don't think it is. God foreknowing, foreknowing is not the same as his forewilling, okay? So he knows who will choose him and so he works with his big picture scenario and, and continues to draw all men to himself but knows who will choose him. Like, it's like... It's like an ant trying to understand the internet, right? Where us trying to understand the dimensions of God that he operates in is, is in some ways futile, but he invites us into that mystery nonetheless. So, so he is, what effectively this is saying, regardless of whether you think um, it's all chosen by God, no free will, whether you think it's a combination of both, or whether you think it's just humanity's choice, whether or not they choose God, regardless of that, no one can say Jesus is Lord without the prompting of the Holy Spirit. And if you have chosen him, then you can be assured you could not have done that without the drawing of the Spirit. So what does all that mean? It means this passage says that once having chosen him, God is all in committed. He has pushed his chips across the table and he said, I am all in on this one. He looks at you and he says, with everything, I am totally committed to you. And you're like, well, he can't be because I'm not completely committed to him. What he started in you, he declares he will finish. That's another theological discussion, but we won't go there today. Let's go into verse 31. It says, what then shall we say in response to this? And this is what we need to take in the midst of our suffering. If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? That's the ultimate bring your big brother to the back of the toilet block fight. Like you walk around the corner and, and big Billy from year four is there and your scrawny Sam from year four and, uh, and you look at big Billy and you're like, oh no, but then your big brother from year seven walks around the corner and stares down big Billy and big Billy runs away. This is how God operates. He is for us. So no matter what is coming against us, it can't stand because God is the one who is for us. Verse 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave himself up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Oh, it's got little weird things in there. 
Euro. You get a trip to Europe. You get a trip to Europe. I think that's what that means. <laughs> okay. I don't know how that happened, but sure. Okay. Don't be distracted, Bron. Focus on the Word of God. Um, Christ Jesus, who died more than that, was raised to life and is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. It says there, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Okay. Let me explain that to you. Who is, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? I'll tell you right now, it is the enemy of our souls. And he will accuse us day and night. He will accuse us before God and he will accuse you in your own spirit. He will accuse you. It's funny how uh, the enemy so often speaks in a voice that sounds just like yours. And he will say to you, you're not good enough. You can't do this. You are a failure. Look around you. Look at the fruit. It's not, it's not worth it. You're obviously in the wrong place. He will say things like that to you all the time. But it says there that it is God who justifies. So what we can say every time the enemy accuses us and says, you're a failure, we go, oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> I know that already. Um, sorry, enemy, uh, you're not coming up with anything new there. <laughs> I already know that. But it's God who justifies. So we're sweet, all right? And the enemy comes to you and says, you're not good enough. Oh, I know, I know, but it's God who justifies. And so it says, who then is the one that condemns? No one. The enemy cannot condemn us if we allow God to justify us. It's when we try to justify ourselves that condemnation can come because we can never stand up against the judgment of God. But because God justifies, we then are able to have no condemnation because we're in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, Christ Jesus who died, A, reflection, Euro, uh, closed apostrophe, more than that, who was raised to life, won't do it again, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Come on now, church. The creation is groaning, waiting to see who will be revealed. Our bodies are bearing witness that there's something new coming. The Holy Spirit is groaning on our behalf. And then Jesus is at the right hand of God, praying for us and interceding for us. No wonder it says, if God is for us, who can be against us with all that going on? It's exciting. Yes, I'm glad you're excited too. Thank you, Troy. <laughs> all right. Verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Um, no, okay, I understand we've had some trouble in our lives. We've had some hardship. Persecution, maybe you have had some real persecution, but I challenge myself on my persecution. I don't think it's persecution compared to the early church. Famine, you only got to look at me to know I've never experienced that. Nakedness, danger, sword, I don't feel like I've experienced that. But regardless of what is coming at us here now or in the future, nothing shall separate us from the love of Christ. Verse 37, as I ask the band to come this morning, says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. You know... I don't know if you're still getting over heartbreak or if you're in the midst of exhaustion or if you've decided that you just deal with loneliness or you're in that place of dissatisfaction. What I can tell you, though, is that you are held. You are held in the midst of all of that. That this scripture tells us that not only are we not alone, 
but we are held, we are encompassed about with the love of Christ. So I wonder, church, if you can come to your feet this morning. And firstly, I just want to ask a question of you. And that question is, have you committed yourself to Jesus? Have you committed yourself to be someone who is held or are you still trying to go it alone? Have you said to Jesus, oh, no, I want to follow you, Jesus. I, I want to have this kind of dynamic start in my life where you're praying for me, where the Holy Spirit is interceding on my behalf, where, where I've got a prayer language, where I can encounter you, God, and know that you are holding me. And so what I want us to do this morning is pray all together after me. And uh, if, if that's you and you say, yes, I want to follow Jesus. I want to kick off this kind of dynamic. I want to start this journey. I want to make Him Lord. I want to stop going my way and go His. Then you pray this from the bottom of your heart this morning. Dear Jesus, I don't want to go my way. I want to go your way. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for taking my sins. Thank you for rising again. I receive your peace in our relationship. I receive your power to live this life. And I receive your promise of eternity with you. In your name, amen. Just while we're here, just keeping our eyes closed and our heads bowed, I just want to ask the question, because uh, I just want to pray for you specifically and, and I'm not going to call you out or anything like that. I'll just pray for you where you are. Has anyone said that for the first time, that prayer for the first time or the first time in a long time? You'd say you're coming home to Jesus or you've decided to follow Him this morning. If that's you, would you just go ahead and raise your hand? Because I just want to pray for you this morning. Thank you. Great decision. Is there anyone else here this morning that says, yeah, I've made that decision? Well, that's great news. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when one person repents. So, so we rejoice this morning and I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for my sister, Lord. You've made her my sister in Christ. And Lord, I pray that she would know that she has a family that she can belong to. You set her in a family, Lord, the family of God. And Lord, I, I just pray that you would reveal yourself to her more and more. Lord, I pray that, Lord, this decision that she's made will be the first day of the rest of her life. And she will encounter you along the way, every step in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So church, I want us to read this last passage together. I want us to read it with the kind of conviction that you would have if you went to a football game of your favourite team and they were losing and you wanted them to, you know, put in some effort, okay? And so, um, Eric, if you wouldn't mind putting up that last scripture slide again, uh, it's... Um, Sorry, I know there's a little bit of fiddling to do that. So uh, it's Romans chapter 8, 37. And I want us to read this out as a, and, and if we can't, I'll just start and then you guys can repeat it after me. I'm going to read it with kind of some gusto and some conviction in my heart and, and let the courage rise in my spirit. And I'd like you to repeat after me and, and don't let me be like Riley and, uh, and, and come out here and be alone for a little while. Join straight in and, um, and get on board. Know in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 
For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And if you believe it, give Him a huge hand here this morning and thank Him for His love.